ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so today we'll begin with the hadith of ibn abbas radiyallahu anhuma أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لو يعطى الناس بدعواهم لدعى رجال أموال قوم ودماءهم لكن البينة على المدعي واليمين على من أنكر حديث حسن رواه البيهقي وغيره هكذا وبعضه في الصحيحين this hadith then Ibn Abbas states that the Prophet said, were people to be given according to their claims, some would claim the wealth and blood of others. But the burden of proof is upon the claimant, and the taking of the oath is upon the one who denies the allegation. The burden of proof is upon the claimant, and the taking of the oath is upon the one who denies the allegation. Al-Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah Ta'ala says, هذا الحديث حديث عظيم. This hadith is a great hadith. وهو قاعدة عظيمة من قواعد القضاء. And it is a great principle from the principles of judgment. In the Islamic law courts, etc., when the judgments occur, then this is a great principle that is used within making those judgments. So the Prophet ﷺ said, If the people were given upon their claims, if the people were given what they were given upon claims that they made, أي بما يدعون, i.e. upon the claims that they were making, and the one who makes the claim, the claimant, المدعي, هو الذي يطلب شيئا بيد غيره. The claimant is somebody who requests something that somebody else has. He claims it to be his right. So the claimant is claiming something that is in the possession of someone else. فَالْقَاضِي إِذَا أَتَاهُ الْخَصْمَانِ فَإِنَّهُ يَسْأَلُهُمَا So the judge, if two people come to him who are disputing over an affair, two people come to him who are disputing over an affair, then the judge asks the two of them, أَيُّكُمَا الْمُدَّعِي Which of the two of you is the claimant? Which of the two of you is the claimant? ثُمَّ يَبْدَأُ بِهِ Then the judge begins with that one. Begins with the one who is the claimant, making the claim upon the other person. لِأَنَّ الْخَصْمَيْنِ مُدَّعٍ وَمُدَّعَى عَلَيْهِ Because the two people who are disputing, one is going to be the claimant, making a claim against the other person, and the other one is going to be the one who is defending himself against that claim, the one who is 
uh, having the claim being made on him. So one is making the claim, and the other one is the one who the claim is falling onto, the one who's defending himself against that claim. So the judge begins with the one making the claim. فَيَبْدَأُ بِالْمُدَّعِي لِأَنَّهُ يَدَّعِي خِلَافَ الْأَصْلِ Because the one who is making the claim, he is the one who is claiming something which is in opposition to the default status. The default is, the people have their property, the people have their rights. The opposite or something which opposes that default is, when somebody comes and says, such and such has taken my right. That's out of the norm now. The norm is everybody has their rights. Out of the norm is when somebody comes and says, such and such has taken my right. That's now broken the norm of everyone having their rights. أَمَّا الْمُدَّعَى عَلَيْهِ فَهُوَ بَاقٍ عَلَى الْأَصْلِ وَالْبَرَاءَةِ As for the one who the claim is being made against, then that person is innocent. He remains upon his default status of being innocent until it's proven what is going on and the affair is established. So the judge يَقُولْ أَيُّكُمَا الْمُدَّعِي The judge asks them therefore, which of the two of you is the claimant? Which of the two of you is making the claim? Or the judge simply remains silent until the claimant begins. The judge does not say, يَا فُلَان مَاذَا عِنْدَكَ هَذَا يُخْشَى أَنْ يَكُونَ تَحَيُّزَا ثُمَّ إِذَا تَكَلَّمَ الْمُدَّعِي يَتَوَجَّهُ إِلَى الْمُدَّعَى عَلَيْهِ وَيَطْلُبُ مِنْهُ الْجَوَابَ عَنْ دَعْوَى خَصْمِهِ هَذِهِ أُصُولُ الْقَضَاءِ The judge doesn't just simply say to them, okay, what, what have you got? What's the issue? What's the problem? He doesn't just begin like that. Rather, the one making the claim, he starts with his claim that he has against the other person. Uh, and then the affair, it starts from there with the claimant making his claim against the other person and requesting what he claims has been taken from him, etc. So if the one who the claim is being made against admits it, if the one who the claim is being made against, he admits it and he accepts that this claim that is being made against him is true. And so then if that is the case, the affair is finished. The one who the claim was made against has admitted it and he can return the rights, etc. If however the one who the claim is being made against, that person defends himself and rejects this claim. He says, this claim being made against me is a lie. He doesn't accept it. Then in that situation, the one who made the claim against that person, then the one who made the claim has to bring the proof. Because the one who the claim is being made against is rejecting it. He's saying he doesn't accept this claim against him. So the claimant, the one making the claim, has to now bring proof to establish his claim against that person. And that clarity, that evidence, that proof is something which will highlight and clarify the reality of this claim of his. 
بِصِحَّةِ مَا يَدْعِي So that could be that this person, the claimant, brings witnesses. Perhaps he has witnesses that back up his claim against that other person. فَإِذَا جَاءَ الْبَيِّنَةِ الْعَادِلَةِ حُكِمَ عَلَى الْمُدَّعَى عَلَيْهِ بِمُوجَبِ شَهَادَةِ So if this upright or just testification and clarity comes, and witnesses they come, then in that case the ruling would be made against the one who the claim is being made against. That indeed the claim is correct against him. وَإِذَا لَمْ يَأْتِ بِبَيِّنَةِ But if the claimant cannot bring any proof or evidence or clarification of his claim, طُلِبَ مِنَ الْمُدَّعَى عَلَيْهِ Then a request is made from the one who the claim is being made against, أَنْ يَحْلِفَ بِنَفْيِ مَدَّعَاهُ عَلَيْهِ خَصْمُ To make an oath, to take an oath, that certainly this person who's making the claim against him is incorrect. To take an oath, that this affair which is being claimed against him from this claimant is an incorrect claim. فَإِنَّكَ لَوَأَبَا أَنْ يَحْلِفَ قُضِيَ عَلَيْهِ If the person refuses to take that oath, he refuses to take the oath, then the judgment is made against him. Because why is he refusing to take the oath? If he's claiming that this claim against him is incorrect, then take the oath on it. Say that this person who's claiming it against you is incorrect. If he can't do that, he won't take the oath, then the judgment is made against him. And the claimant is given his right. وَإِنْ حَلَيْفَ حَلَفَ بَرِئَ But if he does make the oath, then that indicates his innocence. هَذَا هُوَ نِظَامُ الْقَضَاءِ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ نِظَامٌ مُتْقَنُ وَنَزِيهٌ وَمُرِيحٌ This is the uh, order of judgment within Islam. An affair, a judgment, an order which is precise and clear and uh, something which brings ease within it. So either in that situation you have a claimant, person A, making a claim against another person, person B. So if person A can bring witnesses and proof and clarification, backing up his claim against person B, then upon those established evidences and proofs, he may be given the right and the judgment is done in his favor. If however, person A, the claimant, hasn't got any proof, he's got a claim against person B, but person A hasn't got any proof to back up his claim against person B, then in that case, Person B is requested to take an oath that person A's claim is false. If person B takes that oath, then the judgment is given to person B and the claim is gone. If person B refuses to take the oath, then it becomes understood that there's an issue here. Why is he not taking the oath? Then in that case, the ruling is given to person A. That's what the Shaykh mentions in brief here. Of course, the affair is much more detailed. That you look in the books of Fiqh and Usul al-Fiqh, and it explains how the details of this judgment occur. But that is a brief synopsis regarding the affair. فَفِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالَ So in this hadith, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, لَوْ يُعْطَى النَّاسُ بِدَعْوَاهُمْ لَدْعَى رِجَالٌ أَمْوَالَ قَوْمٍ وَدِمَاءَهُمْ If the people were simply given everything based upon claims, just like that, then people would claim the wealth of other people, and they would claim the blood of other people. If they were simply given just on the claim they make, they would end up claiming all types of things. 
فَالْمُدَّعِي رُبَّمَا يَدَّعِي شَيْئًا كَبِيرًا So these people who make the claims, they might come and start making all types of huge claims. يَدَّعِي أَنَّ خَصْمَهُ قَتَلًا فَيُطَالِبُ بِالْقِصَاصِ A person might come along and say, that this individual killed one of my family members, I have to have him killed. He might make a claim like that, just claiming randomly, أَوْ يُطَالِبُ بِمَالٍ قَدْ يَكُونُ كَثِيرًا وَقَدْ يَكُونُ قَلِيلًا or maybe a person comes, the claimant, against another person and says he's taken my right in terms of wealth. And he requests a large amount or a small amount. People may come and make all types of claims in that case. لِأَنَّهُ لَوْ فُتِحَ هَذَا الْبَابِ كُلٌّ يُعْطَى لَحَصَلَ الْفَسَادُ عَلَى النَّاسِ If that door was opened, whereby everybody is simply given whatever they claim, then that would open up a great door to corruption and oppression upon people, transgression against people. And everybody who had some some desire, whatever it may be, some enmity, some hatred against a person, they would simply come and start making claims against them. فَلَا يُقْبَلُ مِنْهُ لِمُجَرَّدِ الدَّعْوَةِ so therefore, due to all of this, the claim isn't just accepted upon a claim. وَلَوْ كَانَ مِنْ أَصْدَقِ النَّاسِ Even if the person was the most truthful of the people. لَا يُقْبَلُ مِنْهُ إِلَّا إِذَا أَتَى بِالْبَيِّنَةِ It is not accepted, this claim he makes against the claimant of his rights, etc. until he brings some clarification and proof. وَلِهَذَا قَالْ And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, لَكِنِ الْبَيِّنَةِ that the burden of proof, the burden of proof is upon the one making the claim. And this proof is, for example, that the person brings some witnesses. That maybe the person brings some witnesses. Because this person is claiming something which is outside of the norm. The norm is everybody has their own rights and they have their affair. Outside of the norm is when somebody comes and claims that somebody else has unjustly taken their rights. So in that case, they need to bring something to prove that or some clarification. So therefore, the one making the claim, it is requested from him to bring some clarification to that. So if he brings that and it is established, then he gets the ruling. And if he does not bring any proof, and he says, I don't have anything to back up my claim, uh, or he brings some proof, but it isn't sufficient. Maybe he does bring something, but it isn't sufficient. Or he just says, I don't have anything to bring in terms of proof. Then, uh, in that case, you have the situation where the judge must then ask the one who the claim is being made against to speak. If that person says, well, I admit it anyway, he accepts it anyway, then okay, the judgment is given to person A who makes the claim. If that person though rejects it, then he is requested to make the oath. If he makes the oath, then the ruling is given to him. If he does not make the oath, then the ruling is given to the other individual. That is what the Shaykh mentions briefly with regards to this hadith about the ones who make the claims that this is the way that the judgment occurs in Islamic rulings regarding people making claims of property and wealth and other affairs on other people.
After that, we also have the following hadith. Hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiyallahu ta'ala anhu qal Sami'atu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul Man ra'a minkum munkara falyugayyiru biyadih Fa'in lam yastadi' fabilisanih Fa'in lam yastadi' fabiqalbih Wadhalika adha'afu al-iman Rawahu al-Muslim in this hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiyallahu anhu, he says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Whomso- Oh, he says that I heard. I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say, Whomsoever sees an evil from amongst you, Whomsoever from amongst you sees an evil, then change it with his hand. And if he is unable to change it with his hand, then change it with his tongue. And if he is unable to change it with his tongue, then change it with your heart, in your heart. And that is the weakest of iman, the final stage of the heart. That narrated by Muslim. This hadith now is talking about the principle of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah regarding enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. الأمر بالمعروف والنهي عن المنكر من أصول الإسلام. And joining the good and forbidding the evil is from the foundations, the principles, the fundamentals of Islam. فهو جانب عظيم من جوانب الإسلام. So it is a great aspect from the aspects of Islam. لأنه إصلاح للمجتمع. Because within it, it in joining the good and forbidding the evil. Within that affair is the rectification of the society. So what is the munkar? And what is the ma'roof? Enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. What is the good? And what is the evil? Firstly the evil, al-munkar. مَا نَهَى اللَّهُ عَنْهُ وَرَسُولُهُ مِنَ الْأَقْوَالِ وَالْأَفْعَالِ وَالتَّصَرُّفَاتِ وَسُمِّيَ مُنْكَرًا لِأَنَّهُ يُنْكِرُهُ الْفِطَرُ تُنْكِرُهُ الْفِطَرُ the munkar forbidding the evil, the evil is all of that, all of those affairs that Allah and His Messenger have prohibited. Whether it is certain statements, or it is certain actions, or it is certain types of behavior, all of the types of affairs from statements, actions, behaviors that Allah and His Messenger have made prohibited, then that is considered as a munkar. And the reason why it's called munkar in Arabic, because that root word, it indicates something that you reject. And munkar is therefore something that the souls of the people in their natural default state, and the sound intellects of the people, they reject. There are certain actions that are known to be evil. And the soul and the mind, you see that action and you reject that action, you know it's bad. That's why it's known as munkar. These actions that you reject and you know them to be evil. Amma al-ma'roof, what is the good that you enjoin on the other hand? That is, فَهُوَ مَا أَمَرَ اللَّهُ بِهِ وَرَسُولُهُ That is everything that Allah and His Messenger have commanded with. All of the affairs that Allah and His Messenger have commanded with, then that is considered as ma'roof. And why is it known as ma'roof? Because of the exact opposite reason. The sound intellects and the souls of the people, 
they recognize that as something good. It is recognized, ma'roof. It is known as something good. وَهَذَا جَانِبٌ عَظِيمٌ فِي الْإِسْلَامِ And this is a great aspect of Islam, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Allah said, وَلْتَكُمْ مِنْكُمْ أُمَّةٌ يَدْعُونَ إِلَى الْخَيْرِ وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْمُفْلِحُونَ In Surah Ali Imran, ayah number 104, And let there be a group from amongst you who enjoin the good and forbid the evil. And they are the successful ones. So consider here in this ayah how Allah declared success and those who are from the successful ones as the ones who have this characteristic of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Similarly, Allah said in Surah Al-Imran also a few ayat later, 110, وَتُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ That you are the best of the people raised up, uh, enjoying, you enjoy the good and you forbid the evil, and you believe in Allah. So again, that is highlighted clearly. You believe in Allah, you have the iman, and you enjoy the good and you forbid the evil. فَمَيَّزَ اللَّهُ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ So therefore, Allah distinguished this ummah بِأَنَّهَا that this ummah ta'muru bil ma'roof wa tanha anil munkar. That this ummah it enjoins the good and it forbids the evil. Bihilafi ahlil kitab. Fa inna allaha awjaba alayhim al amra bil ma'roof wa nahi anil munkar lakinahum lam yakumu bih. And this is in opposition to the people of the book. The Jews and the Christians whom Allah commanded the same thing to enjoin the good and forbid the evil. Yet they failed to perform that. They failed to perform the enjoining of the good and the forbidding of the evil. And that is why it is mentioned in the Quran that Allah cursed them. لُعِنَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِن بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ عَلَى لِسَانِ دَاوُدَ وَعِيسَى بِنَ مَرْيَمْ وَعِيسَى بِنِ مَرْيَمْ ذَلِكَ بِمَا عَصَوْا وَكَانُوا يَعْتَدُونَ and that is the point there where it mentions they did not used to forbid the evil that they did. They did not used to enjoin the good and forbid the evil. They did not used to forbid each other. Upon the evils that they used to do. They did not used to enjoin the good and forbid that evil. So Allah cursed them for that reason. يعني طردهم وأبعدهم من رحمته Meaning that Allah distanced them and removed them from His mercy. And at the same time, Allah praised the ones who do enjoy the good and forbid the evil. ليسوا سواء They are not the same, Allah says. من أهل الكتاب أمة قائمة يتلون آيات الله آناء الليل وَهُمْ يَسْجُدُونَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِاللَّهِ وَالْيَوْمِ الْآخِرِ وَيَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ That they are not the same. From the people of the book are a, a, a group who stand in reciting the ayat in the night and they prostrate and they believe in Allah on the day of judgment and they enjoin the good and they forbid the evil. لَيْسَ كُلُّ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ تَرَكُوا الْأَمْرَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَنَهِنَ الْمُنْكَرِ Therefore, not all of the people of the book abandoned in joining the good and forbidding the evil. 
وَلَكِنْ مِنْهُمْ مَنْ قَامَ بِذَلِكَ وَاللَّهُ لَا يَظْلِمُ Rather, there were some from the people of the book who performed the enjoining of the good and the forbidding of the evil. And so Allah will not oppress them upon that. وَأَوْجَبَ اللَّهُ عَلَى هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ أَنْ تَأْمُرَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَتَنْهَا عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ And Allah commanded or made an obligation upon this ummah to enjoin the good and to forbid the evil. لِأَنَّ ذَلِكَ إِصْلَاحٌ لِلْمُجْتَمَعِ Because within that is a rectification for the society. فَالْمَعَاصِي وَالْمُخَالَفَاتِ Because sinning and oppositions to the Qur'an and the Sunnah, سَبَبٌ لِلْهَلَاكِ وَالدَّمَارِ They are a reason or a cause for destruction. They are a reason and a cause for destruction. Halak wa damar, destruction and ruin. It comes from the sinning and the disobedience. Wa ilaju thalika, and what is the cure to that? Disobedience and sinning and all types of evil that occurs in the society. What is the cure to that? Al amr bil ma'roof wa nahi al munkar. Enjoining the good and forbidding the evil. Wa huwa nasihatun lil ma'muri wal manhi. And in doing that, in joining the good and forbidding the evil, that is an advice to the one that you are performing this upon. It is an advice upon the one that you are enjoining the good with or forbidding the evil upon. وَلَيْسَ مِنْ بَابِ التَّدَخُّلْ فِي أُمُورِ النَّاسِ And it is not that you are, as they say, poking your nose into people's affairs. That is not the purpose and that is not what enjoining the good and forbidding the evil is. You go and you advise a person, you give them nasiha, you explain to them the error, you enjoin the good, you forbid the evil. That doesn't mean you're poking your nose into other people's affairs as the phrase says. Rather you are giving them sincere advice for the sake of Allah, so they return back to the upright way and they leave that which is incorrect. Uh, the shaykh says, as for the people who make these types of statements, that you're just busying yourself with other people's affairs and you're getting involved in stuff that isn't your business, the shaykh says, really, those people are upon a type of hypocrisy. They say, Al-amr bil-ma'roof wa-nahi al-munkar wasayatun ala al-akhareen wa-tadakhulun fi umurin nas. They say, enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, it's as if you're imposing yourself on other people and getting involved in other people's affairs. فَيُقَالُ لَهُمْ So it is said to them, say to them, لَيْسَ هَذَا مِنْ بَابِ الْوَصَايَةِ أَوِ التَّدَخُلُ وَإِنَّمَا هُوَ مِنْ بَابِ الْإِصْلَاحِ وَالنَّصِيحَةِ this isn't from the affair of getting involved in other people's uh, matters or other people's business. Rather, this is from the affair of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil in terms of giving the advice for the rectification. So the fact that you advise your brother and enjoin the good and forbid the evil, then that is from your love for him. That you desire for him to be upon the correct way, not to be upon uh, error and misguidance. وَالْإِشْفَاقِ عَلَيْهِ أَمَّا إِذَا تَرَكْتَهُ فَقَدْ غَشَشْتَهُ وَلَمْ تَنْصَحْلَهُ If you leave your brother upon an error, and you know that he's upon an error, and you make no effort to correct that error, to advise him, you do nothing, you allow him to continue upon the error, then the shaykh says, it's as if you've deceived your brother. You've cheated your brother. You know that he's upon some error and you have not advised him, you've done nothing to rectify that with him, then it's as if you've deceived him. You know the truth and you haven't told him. 
and you've wasted the right that he has upon you. He has a right upon you that you advise him if he sees or if he makes an error. That's the right of your brother upon you. So if you don't give him that right and you allow him to continue upon his misguidance and his error, then you've not fulfilled that right with him. فَهَذَا مِنَ التَّعَاوَنِ عَلَى الْبِرِّ وَالتَّقْوَى وَمِنَ التَّنَاصُحِ So this is from the cooperation upon righteousness and taqwa, goodness and piety, and from the affair of advising each other. And it is مِنْ مَحَبَّةِ الْخَيْرِ لِلنَّاسِ Due to loving the goodness for the people. And it is not getting involved in other people's affairs. Uh, and indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually described the believers as one of their characteristics that they indeed enjoin that advice upon each other, that they counsel each other and they advise each other. Allah mentioned that in the Quran as one of the characteristics of the believers, one of the characteristics of Savior. As Allah mentioned, وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسَوْ بِالصَّبْرِ That they counsel each other upon the truth, and they counsel each other and they advise each other upon patience. So this is a great affair. The Shaykh then mentions this example. وَقَدْ ضَرَبَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ مَثَلًا لِلَّذِي يَأْمُرُ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ وَالَّذِي يَقَعُ فِي الْمَعَاصِي the Prophet ﷺ gave an example of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil and those who fall into error. So the Prophet ﷺ said, مَثَلُ الْقَائِمِ عَلَى حُدُودِ اللَّهِ وَالْوَاقِعِ فِيهَا The example or the parable of the one who is upright upon the commandments of Allah, upon the boundaries of Allah, and the one who is in opposition and falls into error, is just like, this example that's going to come now. كَمَثَلِ قَوْمٍ اِسْتَهَمُوا عَلَى سفينة. It's like a group of people who, who chose uh, regarding a ship. They drew lots. They drew lots regarding how they would board this ship. فَأَصَابَ بَعْضُهُمْ أَعْلَاهَا So when they drew lots, some of them ended up getting the top deck. وَبَعْضُهُمْ أَسْفَلَهَا And some of them ended up getting the bottom deck. فَكَانَ الَّذِينَ فِي أَسْفَلِهَا إِذَا اسْتَقُوا مِنَ الْمَاءِ مَرُّوا عَلَى مَنْ فَوْقَهُمْ So when the ones who were in the bottom floor were getting the water and the barrels, etc. And they were passing by those who were on the top floor. They said, لَوْ أَنَّا خَرَقْنَا فِي نَصِيبِنَا خَرْقَا وَلَمْ نُؤْذِمًا فَوْقَنَا They said, maybe if we just made a small hole in the section of the ship downstairs in the bottom floor where we are, then we wouldn't harm and disturb and cause inconvenience to the people on the top floor when we have to keep going past them to get the water and the barrels, etc. In this instance now, فَإِنْ يَتْرُكُوهُمْ وَمَا أَرَادُوا هَلَكُوا جَمِيعًا If the remainder of the people on the ship allowed the people on the bottom deck to carry out their plan of making a small hole in the bottom deck, then that would lead to the whole ship sinking and everybody dying and drowning. وَإِنْ أَخَذُوا عَلَىٰ أَيْدِيهِمْ نَجَوْ وَنَجَوْ جَمِيعًا But if the remainder of the people on the ship from the top floor and the others, they take these group. They take this group by the hand and they tell them, No, 
not to make a hole in the bottom deck of the ship. They prevent that. They prevent that evil. Then the whole of the ship will remain afloat and they will survive. فَهَذَا مَثَلٌ لِلْعُسَاتِ الَّذِينَ يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَخْرُقُوا سَفِينَةَ الْإِسْلَامِ So this is an example which is highlighting the sinners who wish to make holes in the ship of Islam. لِأَنَّ الْإِسْلَامَ هُوَ السَّفِينَةِ Because the Islam, that is the ship by which there is Savior and salvation. الَّتِي تُنْقِذُ مِنَ الْهَلَاكِ وَالْغَرْقِ That is the ship, the, the Islam. Islam is the ship that saves the people from destruction and drowning. فَلَوْ تَرَكَ الْأَعْلَوْنَ الْأَسْفَلِينَ وَمَا أَرَادُوا هَلَكُوا جَمِيعًا So if those people who are on the top, they left those in the bottom to do what they want, then everybody would die and drown. So this is a clear example, the Shaykh says, of enjoying the good and forbidding the evil. If in society you allow the sinners and the disobedient to do as they wish, then that is as if you are allowing them to make the holes in the ship of society. In the holes, in the ship of Islam. Rather, you prevent that and you enjoy the good and you forbid the evil. Uh, and so in the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ then explains how to do that. How to enjoy the good and how to forbid the evil. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Whomsoever sees an evil from you, uh, then let him change it with his hand. Yuziluhu biyadihi bisultatihi. Change it with his hand with the authority that he has. And that type of authority is going to be for the leaders, the people in authority, the people in charge, the leaders of the areas and the countries, etc. Or for example, the head of the household who is in charge and in authority of this household. So the one in authority who has authority can physically stop that evil from occurring. He can physically, somebody who's the head of a household, some evil occurs in their household, he's the head of the household, he can physically remove that evil and throw it out of the household. Physically remove that evil. Similarly, a leader of a country, some evil occurs, he can physically have that removed. So the one in authority can physically remove the evil. As for the one who is not in authority, then it is not for you to physically remove the evil. You see some evil occurring outside, it is not for you to become vigilantes. That's why the hadith says, if you're not able to do it physically, i.e. you're not somebody of authority, you're not somebody who has that responsibility and authority to be able to do it physically, then in that case, do it bilisanihi, with his tongue. I.e. the shaykh says, man laysa lahu sulta, the one who doesn't have any authority and command, then he can change the evil with his tongue, by advising the people, and admonishing the people, and speaking to the people, and explaining to the people, with his tongue he can explain to them, and advise them regarding the right, and regarding the wrong. If he's not even able to do that, He's not somebody of knowledge. He doesn't have the ability to go and speak with his tongue and to advise and admonish. Or due to other restrictions, he's not able to speak out. Then in that case, فَبِقَلْبِهِ Then let him hate it in his heart. So maybe a person who doesn't have knowledge can't speak out. Or maybe he doesn't have the ability. Then in that case, the hadith mentions he must reject that evil action and hate it in his heart at least. فَيَبْغَضُ munkar. So he hates that evil, that incorrect act in his heart. وَأَهْلَ munkar And the people who are committing those errors and sins. وَيَعْتَزِلُهُمْ And he abandons them or, uh, or rather he distances himself from them. يَعْتَزِلُهُمْ That he removes himself from them. Isolates himself from them. وَيَبْتَعِدْ عَنْهُمْ And he distances himself from them. 
So this therefore indicates it is not permissible to leave prohibiting the evil. You can't leave prohibiting the evil. Because at the very least, even if you can't do anything, you're supposed to hate it in your heart, this evil that is occurring in opposition to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. And that's when the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that this is the weakest of iman. iman. So this therefore indicates that your actions are from iman. And the fact that the Prophet ﷺ said that is the weakest of iman indicates that iman increases and it decreases and it gets small until it may be just the size of a, a grain seed or an atom's weight. And the iman of a person could increase to whatever Allah wills. فَالْإِمَانُ يَزِيدُ وَيَنْقُصُ So iman increases and decreases. And it is not the same in the hearts of the people. The people of innovation, some of them say that the iman is the same in everybody's heart. Everybody has the same level of iman. That is a statement of some of the people of innovation. So they say the iman of Abu Bakr, radiyallahu anhu, is the same as your iman now. The iman of Jibreel is the same as our iman, what we've got now. That is from the statements of deviation from those people. The reality is from the usul of Ahlul Sunnah, from the principles of Ahlul Sunnah, that Iman differs amongst the people. Some have more, some have less, some are stronger, some are weaker. So this is a great hadith, the Shaykh says. Within it, it explains how to enjoin the good and forbid the evil, and that a person must at least hate it in his heart. And how the Shaykh explained, if evils are occurring, then you abandon those people, leave those people and distance yourself from them. And that's a great advice for the people. When you see your companions smoking, for example, and you can't stop them. So leave them and don't mix with them and don't accompany them. Those ones who are smoking and they're drinking and they're doing other types of haram activities, then don't make those people your companions. Don't sit with them. لا لم يجالسهم ولم يخالطهم Don't mix with them and don't sit with them. The one who does mix with them and sit with them, and then he eats with them, etc. And he mixes with them and says, Yes, but I am still hating this evil that they are doing, these evils that they do in my heart. They're my friends. They, they, they smoke, they drink, they do everything. But you still relax with them and say, Yeah, but I, I hate smoking and drinking in my heart. I hate these actions that they're doing. I don't do it myself. But you still hang around with them all. The shaykh says, That is false. You're not really hating that action in your heart if you're still making those people your companions. So hating that action in your heart means that you then distance yourself from them. If you can't change that evil yourself, then at least you distance yourself from them. If you're going to still carry on accompanying them and say, but I hate it in my heart, the shaykh says, oh, that isn't correct. So this gives us a great advice in this hadith regarding how we behave, regarding evils, and in terms of this principle of enjoying the good and forbidding the evil. That's what we'll conclude today. And next week, inshallah ta'ala, we'll begin with the hadith that speaks about not envying each other and not speaking ill of each other and not spreading the meema, etc. We'll speak about that hadith and what the Prophet ﷺ said regarding that next week, inshaAllah at 7.30. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَى نَبِيْنَا مُحَمَّدُ وَعَلَى آلِهِ وَصَحْبِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ